Chapter Twenty Nine of the Golden Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson. Chapter Twenty Nine that night they spent in a caravanserai because after the brief deluge of rain the ground was too damp for camping when an invalid was of the party when they reached the place after sunset the low square of the building was a block of marble set in the dulled gold of the desert carved in dazzling white against the deep blue evening sky like ben halim's house it was roughly fortified with many loopholes in the walls, for it had been built to serve the uses of less peaceful days than these. Within the strong gates, on one side were rooms for guests, each with its own door and window opening into the huge court. On another side of the square were the kitchens and dining room, as well as living space for the Arab landlord and his hidden family and opposite was a roofed open-fronted shelter for camels and other animals the ground yellow with sand and spilt fodder water overflowed from a small well making a pool in the courtyard in which ducks and geese waddled quacking turkey cocks fought in quiet corners barked at impotently by cabile puppies tall lean hounds or slogies kept to chase the desert gazelles wandered near the kitchens in the hope of bones and camels gobbled dismally as their tired drivers forced them to their knees or thrust handfuls of date stones down their throats there were sheep too and goats and even a cow the perpetual mother loved and valued by arabs mabarka refused to read the sand that night when Maeddine suggested it. The sand would yield up its secrets only under the stars, she said, and wished to wait until they should be in the tents. All night, outside Victoria's open but shuttered window, there was a stealthy stirring of animals in the dark, a gliding of ghostly ducks, a breathing of sheep and camels, and sometimes the wild braying of a donkey or the yelp of a dog tore the silence to pieces. The next day was hot, so that at noon, when they stopped to eat, the round blot of black shadow under one small tree was precious as a black pearl. And there were flies. Victoria could not understand how they lived in the desert, miles from any house, miles from the tents of nomads where there was no vegetation except an occasional scrubby tree or a few of the desert gourds which the arabs used to cure the bite of scorpions but she had not seen the cages of bones sometimes bleached like old ivory sometimes of a dreadful red which told of wayside tragedies always when they had come in sight of a skeleton Maeddine had found some excuse to make the girl look in another direction, for he wanted her to love the desert, not to feel the horror of its relentlessness. 
Now for the first time he had full credit for his cleverness as an organizer. Never before had they been so remote from civilization. When traveling in the carriage, stopping each night at the house of some well-to-do Siade or Adele, it had been comparatively easy to provide supplies. But today, when jellied chicken and cream cheese, almond cakes and oranges appeared at luncheon and some popular French mineral water, almost cool because the bottles had been wrapped in wet blanket, fizzed in the glasses. Victoria said that Si Maedine must have a tame gin for a slave. Wait till evening, he told her, then perhaps thou mayest see something to please thee. But he was delighted with her compliments, and made her drink water from the glass out of which he had drunk, that she might be sure of his good faith in all he had sworn to her yesterday. They who drink water from the same cup have made an eternal pact together, he said. I should not dare to be untrue, even if I would. And thou, I think thou wilt be true to me. Why, certainly I will, answered Victoria with a pretty American accent which Stephen Knight had admired and smiled at the night he heard it first. Thou art one of my very best friends. Maeddine looked down into the glass and smiled as if he were a crystal gazer and could see something under the bright surface that no one else could see. Night folded down over the desert, hot and velvety, like the wings of a mother bird covering her children, but before darkness fell the tents glimmered under the stars. There were two only, a large one for the women and one very small for Maeddine. The negroes would roll themselves into their burnooses and lie beside the animals. But sleeping time had not come yet, and it was the Sudanese who prepared the evening meal. One of them was a good cook, and for that reason Maeddine had begged him from the Aga. He had made desert bread by mixing farina with salted water and baking it on a flat tin supported by stones over a fire of dry twigs. When the thin loaf was crisply brown on top, the man took it off the fire and covered it up on the tin because it was to be eaten hot. While Victoria waited for all to be got ready, she strolled a little way from the tents and the group of resting animals, having promised Maeddine to avoid the tufts of alpha grass for fear of vipers which sometimes lurked among them. He would have liked to go with her, but the unfailing tact of the Arab told him that she wished to be alone with her thoughts, and he could only hope that they might be of him. Here it was no longer beautiful desert. They had passed the charming region of Deaz and were entering the grim world through which, long ago, the ever-harried Maxibites had fled to find a refuge beyond the reach of greedy pursuers. Nevertheless, the enchantment of the Sahara, in all its phases, had taken hold of Victoria. She did not now feel the desert was a place where a tired soul might find oblivion though once she had imagined that it would be a land of forgetfulness. Arabs say, in talking idly to Europeans, 
that men forget their past in the desert but she doubted if they really forgot in these vast spaces where there was so much time to think she herself began to feel that the illimitable skies where flamed sunsets and sunrises whose miracle no eye saw might teach her mysteries she had snatched and lost in dreams the immensity of the desert sent her soul straining towards the immensity of the beyond and almost in flashes elusive as the light on a bird's wing she understood what eternity might mean she felt that the last days of her childhood had been left behind on the threshold of these mysterious spaces this vastness into which she had plunged as into an ocean yet she did not regret the loss if it were a loss never she thought whatever might happen would she wish not to have known this experience not to have entered upon this great adventure whose end maeddine still hid behind a veil of secrecy it was true as she had told him that she was not impatient though she would have liked to count the days like the beads of a rosary she looked forward to each one as to the discovery of a beautiful thing new to the world and to her for though the spaces surrounding her were wide beyond thinking they were not empty as ships great and small sail the sea so sailed the caravans of the nomad tribes in the desert which surges on unchecked to egypt nomads who come and go north and south east and west under the burning sun and the throbbing stars as allah has written their comings and goings in his book men in white journeying with their women their children and their trains of beasts singing as they pass and at night under the black tents resting to the music of the tom-tom and the raita victoria's gaze waded through the shadows that flowed over the desert at evening deep and blue and transparent as water she searched the distances for the lives that must be going on somewhere perhaps not far away though she would never meet them they and she were floating spars in a great ocean and it made the ocean more wonderful to know that the spars were there each drifting according to its fate the girl drew into her lungs the strong air of the desert born of the winds which bring life or death to its children the scent of the wild thyme which she could never again disentangle from thoughts of the sahara was very sweet even insistent she knew that it was loved by nomad women and she let pictures rise before her mind of gorgeous dark girls on camels in plumed red basuras going from one desert city to another to dance cities teeming with life which she would never see among these spaces that seemed empty as the world before creation she imagined the ghost of these desert beauties crowding round her in the dusk bringing their fragrance with them the wild time they had loved in life crushed in their bosoms pathetic ghosts who had not learned to rise beyond what they had once desired therefore compelled to haunt the desert the only world which they had known in the wind that came sighing to her ears from the dark ravines of the terrible chebka she seemed to hear battle songs and groans of the desert men 
who had fought and died ages ago, whose bones had crumbled under her feet, perhaps, and whose descendants had not changed one whit in religion, custom, or thought, or even in dress. Victoria was glad that Maeddine had let her have these desert thoughts alone, for they made her feel at home in the strange world her fancy peopled. But the touch of the tine-scented ghosts was cold. It was good to turn back at last towards the tents and see how the campfire crimsoned the star dusk. Thou wert happy alone? Maeddine questioned her jealously. I was not alone. He understood. I know. The desert voices spoke to thee of the desert mystery which they alone can tell. Voices we can hear only by listening closely. That was the thought in my mind. How odd thou shouldst put it into words. Dost thou think it odd? But I am a man of the desert. I held back for thee to go alone and hear the voices, knowing they would teach thee to understand me and my people. I knew, too, that the spirits would be kind and say nothing to frighten thee. Besides, thou didst not go to them quite alone, for thine own white angel walked on thy right hand as always. Thou makest poetical speeches, Si Maeddine. It is no poetry to speak of thy white angel. We believe that each one of us has a white angel at his right hand, recording his good actions. But ordinary mortals have also their black angels, keeping to the left, writing down wicked thoughts and deeds. Hast thou not seen men spitting to the left, to show despite of their black angels. But because thy soul is never soiled by sinful thoughts, there was no need for a black angel, and while thou wert still a child, Allah discharged him of his mission. And thou, Simeadine, dost thou think, truly, that a black angel walks ever at thy left side? I fear so, Maeddine glanced to the left, as if he could see a dark figure writing on a slate. Things concerning Victoria must have been written on that slate, plans he had made, of which neither his white angel nor hers would approve. But, he told himself, if they had to be carried out, she would be to blame for driving him to extremes. Whilst thou art near me, he said aloud, my black angel lags behind, and if thou wert to be with me forever, I, since that cannot be, thou must find a better way to keep him in the background, Victoria broke in lightly. But si Maeddine's compliments were oppressive. She wished it were not the Arab way to pay so many. He had been different at first, and feeling the change in him with a faint stirring of uneasiness, she hurried her steps to join Mabarka. The invalid reclined on a rug of golden jackal skins and rested a thin elbow on cushions of dyed leather, braided in intricate strips by Tuareg women. Victoria sat beside her, Maeddine opposite, and Fafan waited upon them as they ate. After supper, while the Bedouin woman saw that everything was ready for her mistress and the Romia in their tent, Mabarka spread out her precious sand from Mecca and the dunes around her own Tugork. She had it tied up in green silk, 
such as is used for the turbans of men who have visited mecca lined with a very old arab brocade purple and gold like the banners that drape the tombs of marabouts she opened the bag carefully until it lay flat on the ground in front of her knees the sand piled in the middle as much perhaps as could have been heaped on a soup plate for a moment she sat gazing at the sand her lips moving she looked wan as old ivory in the dying firelight and in the hollows of her immense eyes seemed to dream the mystery of all ages take a handful of sand she said to victoria hold it over thine heart now wish with the whole force of thy soul victoria wished to find sadie safe and to be able to help her if she needed help put back the sand sprinkling it over the rest the girl though not superstitious could not help being interested even fascinated it seemed to her that the sand had a magical sparkle mabarka's eyes became introspective as if she waited for a message or saw a vision she was as strange as remote from modern womanhood as a cassandra presently she started and began trailing her brown fingers lightly over the sand pressing them down suddenly now and then until she had made three long wavy lines the lower ones rather like telegraphic dots and dashes lay the forefinger of thy left hand on any figure in these lines she commanded now on another yet again for the third time that is all thou hast to do the rest is for me she took from some hiding place in her breast a little old notebook bound in dark leather glossy from constant use with it came a perfume of sandalwood turning the yellow leaves of the book covered with fine arab lettering she read in a murmuring indistinct voice that sounded to victoria like one of those desert voices of which maeddine had spoken also she measured spaces between the figures the girl had touched and counted monotonously thy wish lies a long way from thee she said at last a long way thou couldst never reach it of thyself never not till the end of the world i see thee alone very helpless thou prayest allah sends thee a man a strong man whose brain and heart and arm are at thy service allah is great tell her what the man is like cousin maeddine prompted eagerly he is dark and young he is not of thy country o rose of the west but trust him rely upon him or thou art undone in thy future just where thou hast ceased to look for them i see troubles and disappointments even dangers that is the time above all others to let thyself be guided by the man allah has sent to be thy prop he has ready wit and courage his love for thee is great it grows and grows he tells thee of it and thou thou seest between him and thee a barrier high and fearful as a wall with sharp knives on top for thine eyes it is impassable thine heart is sad and thy words to him will pierce his soul with despair but think again be true to thyself and to thy star 
speak another word and throw down that high barrier as the wall of jericho was thrown down thou canst do it all will depend on the decision of a moment the whole future the future of the man and of a woman whose face i cannot see mabarka smoothed away the tracings in the sand what is there no more asked maeddine no it is dark before my eyes now the light has gone from the sand i can still tell her a few little things perhaps such things as the luckiest colors to wear the best days to choose for journeys but she is different from most girls i do not think she would care for such hints all colors are lucky all days are good said victoria i thank thee for what thou hast told me leila mabarka she did not wish to hear more what she had heard was more than enough not that she really believed that mabarka could see into the future but because of the dark man any fortune-teller might introduce a dark man into the picture of a fair girl's destiny but the illusions were so marked that victoria's vague unrestfulness became distress she tried to encourage herself by thinking of maeddine's dignified attitude from the beginning of their acquaintance until now and even now he had changed only a little he was too complimentary that was all and the difference in his manner might arise from knowing her more intimately probably leila mabarka like many elderly women of other and newer civilizations was over-romantic and the best thing was to prevent her from putting ridiculous ideas into maeddine's head such ideas would spoil the rest of the journey for both remember all i have told thee when the time comes mabarka warned her yes oh yes i will remember now it is my turn read the sand for me said maeddine mabarka made as if she would wrap the sand in its bag i can tell thy future better another time not now it would not be wise besides i have done enough i am tired look but a little way along the future then and say what thou seest i feel that it would bring good fortune to touch the sand where the hand of oreda has touched it always now he spoke of victoria or to her as rose oreda in arabic but as mabarka gave her that name also the girl could hardly object i tell thee instead it may bring thee evil for good or evil i will have the fortune now maeddine insisted be it upon thy head o cousin not mine take thy handful of sand and make thy wish maeddine took it from the place victoria had touched and his wish was that as the grains of sand mingled so their destinies might mingle inseparably his and hers mabarka traced the three rows of mystic signs and read her notebook mumbling but suddenly she let it drop into her lap covering the signs with both thin hands what ails thee maeddine asked frowning i saw thee stand still and let an opportunity slip by i shall not do that the sand has said it shall i stop or go on go on i see another chance to grasp thy wish this time thou stretches out thine hand i see thee 
in a great house the house of one thou knowest whose name i may not speak thou stretchest out thine hand the chance is given thee what then then i cannot tell thee what then thou must not ask my eyes are clouded with sleep camarada it is late let us go to our tent no said maeddine arada may go but not thou victoria rose quickly and lightly from among the jackal skins and tora-reg cushions which maeddine had provided for her comfort she bade him good-night and with all his calm courtesy he kissed his hand after it had pressed hers but there was a fire of anger or impatience in his eyes fafan was in the tent waiting to put her mistress to bed and to help the, the rumia if necessary the mattresses which had come rolled up on the brown mule's back had been made into luxurious-looking beds covered with bright-coloured arab-woven blankets beautiful embroidered sheets of linen and cushions slipped into fine pillow-cases folding frames draped with new mosquito nettings had been arranged to protect the sleepers hands and faces and there was a folding table on which stood french gilt candlesticks and a glass basin and water jug ornamented with gilded flowers just such a basin and jug as victoria had seen in the curiosity shop of mademoiselle soubaise they were folded towels too of silvery damask what wonderful things we have the girl exclaimed i don't see how we manage to carry them all it is like a story of the arabian nights where one has but to rub a lamp and a powerful djinn brings everything one wants the lord maeddine is a powerful djinn who has brought all thou couldst possibly desire without giving thee even the trouble to wish for things said fafan showing her white teeth and glancing sidelong at the rumia these are not all many of these things thou hast seen already yet there are more eagerly she lifted from the ground which was covered with rugs a large green earthen jug it is full of rose-water to bathe thy face for the water of the desert here is brackish and harsh to the skin because of the saltpetre the sidi ordered enough rose-water to last till guardia in the mexab country then he will get thee more but it is for us both for leila mabarka more than for me protested victoria fafan laughed my mistress no longer spends time in thinking of her skin she prays much instead and the sidi has given her an amulet which touched the sacred black stone at mecca to her that is worth all the rest and it is worth this great journey which she takes with so much pain the rose-water and the perfumes from tunis and the softening creams made in the tent of the sidi's mother are all offered to thee no no the girl persisted i am sure they are meant more for leila mabarka than for me she is his cousin hast thou never noticed the caravans when they have passed us in the desert how it is always the young and beautiful women who rest in the basuras while the old ones trot after the camels i have noticed that and it is very cruel why cruel o romia 
they have had their day and when a man has but one camel he puts upon its back his treasure the joy of his heart a man must be a man so say even the women and the sidi is a man as well as a great lord he is praised by all as a hunter and for the straightness of his aim with a gun he rides thou seest as if he were one with his horse and as he gallops in the desert so would he gallop to battle if need be for he is brave as a libyan lion and strong as the heroes of old legends yet there is nothing too small for him to bend his mind upon if it be for thy pleasure and comfort thou shouldst be proud instead of denying that all the seedy does is for thee my mistress would tell thee so and many women would be dying of envy daughters of agas and even bach agas but perhaps as thou art a romia thou hast different feelings perhaps answered victoria humbly for she was crushed by fafan's fierce eloquence and for a moment her heart was heavy but she would not let herself feel a presentiment of trouble what harm can happen to me she asked i haven't been guided so far for nothing si Miedine is an arab and his ways aren't like the ways of men i've known that's all my sister's husband was his friend a great friend whom he loved what he does is more for cassim's sake than mine her cheeks were burning after the long day of sun and because of her thoughts yet she was not glad to bathe them with si Maedine's fragrant offerings of rose-water some of which fafan poured into a, a glass basin not far away Maedine was sitting by the fire with mabarka tell me now he said what didst thou see nothing clearly another time cousin let me have my mind fresh i am like a squeezed orange yet i must know or i shall not sleep thou art hiding something all was vague confused i saw as through a torn cloud there was the great house thou wert there a guest thou wert happy thy desire granted and then by allah maedine i could not see what happened but the voice of the sand was like the storm in my ears and the knowledge came to me suddenly that thou must not wait too long for thy wish the wish made with the sand against thine heart thou couldst not see my wish thou art but a woman i saw because i am a woman and i have the gift thou knowest i have the gift do not wait too long or thou mayest wait forever what wouldst thou have me do it is not for me to advise as thou saidest i am but a woman only act that is the message of the sand and now unless thou wouldst have my dead body finish the journey in the bassour take me to my tent maeddine took her to the tent and he asked no more questions but all night he thought of what mabarka had said and the message of the sand it was a dangerous message yet the consul was after his own heart end of chapter twenty nine